Hey listeners, this is Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars. We all love to eat. Well, I would like to tell you about my friends at the Rib Shack Barbecue on West Bay Drive in downtown Largo. Their menu offers family-sized takeout dinners like delicious ribs, chicken, beef, and pork, or sit-down barbecue dinners, sandwiches, and even desserts. They will also cater your party. Everything is barbecued fresh using real oak for that great smoky flavor. So visit my friend, Corey, at the Rib Shack Barbecue in downtown Largo, West Bay Drive, or call them for a takeout order at 727-501-9090. That's 727-501-9090. They truly have the best smoking barbecue in town. Oh, and be sure and check out their great barbecue sauce. That's the Rib Shack Barbecue in downtown Largo, 727-501-9090. I'm telling Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars sent you. You may be owed some money. After 911 and 411, call 541. That's 727-541-1741. Call Gulfstream Motorsports for a diminished value report. Due to my 28 years experience in the auto salvage business, I'm very good with wrecks. So if your car has been involved in a wreck, call me for a diminished value report. Call 727-541-1741. You may be owed some money for the lost value of your repaired vehicle. And visit us at GulfstreamMotorsports.com. Inventor, mechanic, self-taught genius, early motorsports pioneer, Henry Smokey Unix legend began in his youth in Pennsylvania. He had a motorcycle that he had bought as surplus and he had um, souped it up. He fancied himself a world famous motorcycle racer and he went to the track and he realized he didn't know quite as much about tuning as he thought he did and the thing smoked like crazy. And so for the entire race, the track announcer called him Smokey. When he went to work the next day, his friends had been in attendance at the track and they called him Smokey and it stuck for the rest of his life. After the war, Smokey was quickly becoming the premier mechanic of his generation. He moved to Florida and started racing stock cars. And during NASCAR's early years, Smokey set the standard for innovation. Whether it was engines, aerodynamics, or safety, Smokey developed ways of making any vehicle better. Many inventions challenged the early stock car racing rules, which led him to butt heads with series founder Bill France Sr. Smokey didn't believe what he did was cheating. He was reading between the, the lines of the rule book. If, he said, if it didn't say you couldn't do it, then it was considered legal. Back in them days, you got to remember, none of us knew anything about nothing about how to race a stock car. Also, France started NASCAR and he didn't know what the hell he was doing either. <laughs> so he wrote the rule book, which was about one page. And it started off with, you can't do nothing. So you ride around there a couple of laps and the damn wheels would fall off. And you'd say, well, how are we gonna run this thing with no wheels, France? And he'd say, well, maybe you'll have to fix the wheel. So you fix the wheel and then the hump would fall off. Say, how the hell are we gonna run this? without any front hubs. Well, we'll have to fix that. So, you made the rules up as you went and you did the fixing as the stuff fell off. All that reading between the lines translated into 57 wins and two championships in NASCAR, with drivers behind the wheel like Fireball Roberts, Herb Thomas, and Curtis Turner. Now, I'll tell you right up front, racing used to be, if you had the talent and the perseveration, uh, you could get a shot at it. You can't now. And now... Hey, Rocky, watch me pull a rabbit out of my hat. Again? Nothing up must leave. Presto! <laughs> no doubt about it. I gotta get another hat. Now here's something we hope you'll really like. Hi, this is NASCAR Hall of Fame crew chief Ray Evernham, and you're listening to Nostalgic Radio and Cars. 
Listen, Bobby. Was that live? Oh. <laughs> oh, hey, listen, welcome you tuning into Nostalgia Radio and Cars. The mic was hot. I did not know that. Tommy, you're supposed well, to give me more. If, we, if we're, if we're, if we're, uh, you're asked what we're watching. We're watching. Yeah, what's on TV? There's, uh, uh, we actually, you know, we actually have TV in here too, so we can actually see stuff. So I think, we're, I think Wayne Carini there is doing something with an Auburn. Chasing classic cars. Chasing classic cars. Wow, we haven't had Wayne in a while. We need to do that. But anyway, hey, you're tuning into Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Run your computers and Google Tantalk1340.com, and you can see us live here in the studios. And. Yes, now it's on. It's on. You can Mike's, say hi Mike, to everybody. Mike, Mike's on. Okay. And uh, don't forget to check out our website, GulfstreetMotorsports.com, where you can find out all about us, even when we have the mic on, when it's not supposed to be on. Anyway, uh, and uh, don't forget, if you missed any of our shows, our past shows, you can go to NostalgicRadioCars.com, and you can listen to all 500 and some odd shows. Good evening, Bobby. How are you? I'm doing all right. That's good. Tommy, how are you doing over there? I'm doing great. Uh, can you hear me? Is my mic on? <laughs> <laughs> I'm calling you Mr. Hot Mic here. <laughs> Hey, this is live radio, and anything can happen. Okay, so we got an exciting show for you tonight. We got a real and will happen, and will happen. <laughs> yes, guaranteed, guaranteed. And uh, listen, this show is supposed to be fun, uh, entertaining, edu- which certainly is entertaining, educational, <laughs> um, informative, and it's live radio. So anything can happen, Good. and this is live radio, and this is what happens in the real world in radio. Did, insert any other descriptive words? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> but and and. and we're supposed to have we have a lot of energy here you know what's a very positive show so it's the most fascinating and legendary yeah, what's the science 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 motorsports? Motorsports? Uh, yeah most fascinating but you did i think <laughs> i don't know <laughs> it's, it's a combination we both did so um anyway yeah we, so we got a great show for you this evening we got an interesting interesting guest coming on for you this evening and uh, i've known this gentleman for quite some time um, I met him actually back in 1997 in Monterey, the, back when they used to have the quail at the Quail Lodge, and it was just the quail, and it was a car show, a cool car show, though. And uh, very, very high-end, very, 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 uh, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? Can't think of the word. Very posh, I should say. Anyway, and uh, he's uh, very much into Italian exotics, so, but he is really, really cool when it comes to, uh, and very well-known, in the collector car world as far as finding some very, very unique collectible cars. One car, in fact, that he found, that he discovered, was a uh, very rare car that I appraised a number of years ago, which was uh, called the Caballo 2, and it was a Curtis 500K. And we'll get into that when we, when we, when we get into the, um, the interview, because uh, our guest has got a really great story. And it just kind of goes to show you how... Um, how serious you have to be about it, and then if you do stumble across something, you know, and you're not quite 100% sure, because keep in mind, a lot of these cars, especially cars that were built back in the 50s, they've kind of changed, you know, and when they fall in different hands, everybody's got a little different idea. So, you know, the original intention of this car was to be, there was a car that was built for um, uh, the 1956, 57, 57 Mille Mille race, which is a thousand kilometer race, thousand kilometers, okay, that's kilometers. Uh, race in uh, in Italy, which runs from, I think it starts in um, that, 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 that could be Rome. Maybe it's northern. It, I think it's northern Italy, and then it goes through Brescia and then down to Rome. I think so. Basically, it runs from the eastern side of Italy to the western side, and uh, or yeah, I guess. At any rate, but it's a real interesting race, and they raced that race until 1957. 55, they had a real serious accident. 57, they had another serious accident, and then they called it quits. So, but the Mille Mille. Uh, vintage race still continues to this day, 
and it's cars that are 1957 and older. So anyway, having said that, um, let's see. How about a big shout out to our sponsors this evening? Oh yeah, yeah. So where do we like to get our barbecue? Where do we like to get our barbecue? <laughs> well, it's located at 426 Max Wedge, no, uh, West Bay <laughs> Drive in uh, Largo, and uh, they're open. Yes, you can go in there and you can do some dining, yep. and they've got great barbecue. They got great ribs. They got. Uh, some great sides, fries, yep. mac and cheese, which we like, potato salad, stuff like that, coleslaw, green beans, jitlins, yep. collard greens, and, and uh, uh, lunch specials. Lunch specials, and yep. wait a minute, they have dessert too, don't they? And dessert, yeah, pies, dessert, yeah. different assortment of pies, so uh, go to Largo.com. Yep, and, yeah. uh, and they even and, have uh, beer. Yes. They got beer. Yep. beer. Okay, so that's where I get my... Uh, Amberbach. Yes. If I'm not drinking Yingling, Yingling, Yingling. Shout out to my buddies Hank and Pete. They're in the uh, uh, way, way in the great wide north beer, beer, <laughs> beer habitat up there in Pasco County. And uh, let's see, what else? Um, oh, and then uh, that about, great little website that we use to uh, find car shows. Oh, yeah. FLACarshows.com. What do they got going on this yep. week? Um, well, you can check it out whether you're in the, on the West Coast, the East Coast, the North Not Coast. Uh, <laughs> West Central Florida, South Central Florida, Eastern Florida, someplace in Florida, anywhere Any in Florida. Any part of Florida, FLA Car Shows is the place to go. Let them know so they can update your listing as to what you're doing. And check out the website and get out and drive. And a big shout-out to my good friend Jake and those guys over there at Largo Shoe Repair. Right, it's called Mid... 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 Something... Oh, jeez. Well, I can't... I'm, I'm in trouble. Uh, I'll just say... Oops, 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 oops. Okay, He's going to have to get on a computer It's a shoe break, repair shop. But, uh, Bobby, hurry. Google, Google okay. it real quick. <laughs> Mid something uh, shoe repair over there in uh, in Largo because... I'm still old school. I still wear my shoes till there's nothing left of them. It's kind of like my jeans. I wear my jeans until there's nothing left of them. They're pretty well rotten. Then they go to the junk jeans. When they get to the junk jeans, then they become grease rags. It's the evolution of a yeah, Gulfstream virus yeah. jeans. Jeans, yeah, right. So, you know, and I used to go out and buy Levi's all the time, which I still do on occasion. But now I got smart and I went to Earl King. <laughs> Which, and, well, that's a, that's a story for another show. R- Rural King, yeah, and, uh, yeah, that's kind of like Tractor Supply, you know, because they have jeans for like 10 bucks, and yeah. they last for it. What's the name of the shoe stop? All right, so Midway Shoe Repair. Go visit them at 471 Seminole Boulevard in Largo. That's 471 Seminole Boulevard in Largo, MidwayShoeRepair.com, MidwayShoeRepair.com, and their phone number is 727-581-2166, Mid- Midway Shoe Repair. That's, Boy, there's not a lot of those guys around, huh? No, no, yeah. no. And well, he, cobbler? Yeah, basically. You know what's interesting is you know, we talked about that earlier because, you know, there is less and less people. You know, everybody wants to be, um, you know, college kids, and it doesn't work unless you're, you know, like Bobby, for example, extremely diligent, smart, and committed, you know. But a lot of kids, you know, they're pretty good with their hands, and they're missing out on it, you know. So we do need plumbers. We do need carpenters. We do need mechanics. So you check know. out your local trade school, technical check, college. Check out your, yeah. And one of these days we are going to have, we're going to get lucky, and we're going to get Mike Rowe on the show. We've invited him on the show a number of times. We're still working on it. and But he's got a real busy schedule, and he's a huge proponent of vocation. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that's important. Speaking of vocation, now, I had a little fun this weekend because, you know, it's been a while, and we've all been cooped up. And besides getting behind the wheel of my car and making noises like boom, 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 boom. Like uh, you hear on our sound effects here. Yeah, like you hear yeah. on our sound effects here. I actually went to a, believe it or not, up in Brooksville was a car show swap meet put on by, I think, Monsters Transmission. And it's called Leadfoot City 
uh, car show in Swami. And you know what? I had a great time. It was a great turnout. And it was kind of like a family reunion. You know, you always hear me talking about, you know, Carmel and Monterey and Amelia Island and Scottsdale because you see the same people. And, uh, you know, and you, you build this bond. You build these relationships with these people, especially car guys, because, you know, we're not really, we're in the cars. So it doesn't matter whether you're Ford, Chevrolet, Porsche, Ferrari, or Volkswagen, or Datsun, or something like that. You know, we just like cars, you know, and that's what it's all about. But anyway, so they had a tell pretty... Us, tell us what you saw there on four wheels, two wheels, no wheels. I saw <laughs> two-wheel motorcycles. I saw four-wheel cars. I saw trucks. I saw, hey, you know what else they had? They had a band. Now, you know us. Oh, we're yeah. into music here. So what, to me, every event should have a band. Okay, and they had a three-piece band up there, and they did pretty good. They played a lot of uh, covers, I guess that's the term they call them, mm-hmm. you know, when you play kind of, you know, songs from other artists and stuff, and they were pretty doggone good. I was impressed with them. Three-piece band, you know, they had lead guitars, had a drummer, and they had a bassist, and uh, not bad. You know, sound was pretty good. They had car shows, they had, but the swap meet was pretty cool, and I met some interesting people there. In fact, you just never know who you're going to meet. And uh, so one of those guys, we're sitting there talking for a while, a big shout-out to Wally, Turns out that I think a distant relative, or maybe even a brother-in-law, I'm not exactly sure how it works, happens to be the guitar tech for, of all people, a.k.a. the wizard, or slow hand, Eric Clapton. And, you know, I mean, it's, that's, how remote is that? You know, it's kind of like I was telling you a story about the other day. I was at my shop, and uh, the guy that I've known for years and years and years and years, he, couldn't, he, was, he was getting ready to go to lunch. And for some reason, I had this sixth, I think this is the word, sixth sense that uh, he might just be in the guitars. So I go, hey, Brian, you wouldn't have to be in guitars by any chance. And he goes, yeah, as a matter of fact, I am. I, uh, my mom used to have a pawn shop, and I'm in the old Gibsons. Well, I kind of like Gibsons, especially SGs. That's what Robbie Krieger played, and Frank Zappa, and Tommy Iommi of uh, Black Sabbath. So one thing led to another. Well, it's the same thing with this guy. This guy, actually, as I was talking and yakking, um, I picked up a little, I needed a, a, a piece, of, I had a couple Suntacs, old vintage ones, you know, like they used to use in the early uh, Ford Galaxies and big, big muscle cars of the 60s, you know, like 61, 62, 63 Galaxies and Pontiacs and Mopars and stuff, the old school tack, you know, with the half gauge, half moon-like thing. And uh, I, I, my, I dropped a housing one time and it bent. Well, he happened to have one there and it wasn't an eight grand tack or six grand tack or nine grand tack, but it was a four grand tack, which generally you find in a truck or, a, or maybe even a boat. But it had a nice plate, so faceplate. So I was negotiating with him. We finally got one thing talking, yakking, and blah, blah, blah. And next thing it turned out, he's a body shop guy, and his buddy was an insurance guy. And it was pretty cool, interesting conversation. But as we're leaving, you know, he's move, packing up his truck. Somehow he uses a um, kind of a, uh, in a sentence, what's the word I'm thinking of when you, when you kind of. Uh, allude to something. Yeah, when you allude to something, he used the term something about guitars. And I said, hey, you in the vintage guitars by any chance? He goes, no, but uh, my brother-in-law is. And I go, really? He says, yeah. I said, no, really? Uh, where's he at? Does he collect guitars? He says, yeah, he's got about 75 of them. I go, 75? Wow, that's quite a few guitars. I go, where's he at? He says, it was in Tennessee. And I said, no kidding. And he goes, yeah, look up the name, you know. And then uh, I go, okay, uh, so what's the story? Well, I used to be guitar tech, oh, really? And then he goes on and on and says, uh, yeah, for this guy who used to play in a band way back when. That's why we played the Yardbirds. Or did oh. we play the Yardbirds? Well, we're going, going to play the Yardbirds. We're going to play the Yardbirds. What about, what did we, oh, we were going to play the Yardbirds. Wow, okay, you, you thought fact, we I played think, a song already? Yeah, no, I haven't played the song yet. But anyway, so, and then, of course, you know, we played a little thing with Smokey Eunuch earlier because, you know, the, all the NASCAR hoopla crap going on. And, you know, just want to say that, you know, in the old school, racing was racing. It wasn't, uh, it's what you, it was, you were, you were given a job and a, and a ride behind the wheel of a car because of your talents. It's your talents, guys. If you got talents, expand on your ta- expound on your talents, right, Tommy? Like you're like the number one premier, 
you know, radio producer on the planet, you know, and... Uh, I wish there was ah, a go on. Ah, go on. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, all right, so go fire up that stereo, and let's play a little play Yard it, Birds. Yeah. Now, here's a song. God, I can't believe I can... It's 10 years times ago. Is that it? Then it's not Buddy Yardbirds. And this is back when Jeff Beck, of course Clapton played for him, but Beck and uh, Jimmy Page were part of the Yardbirds. So hey, you're tuning into Nostalgia Reading Cards, don't touch that dial. We'll be right back. And yes, we will have some musicians on in the future. the best brews in Tampa Bay at Dunedin Brewery. Known as Florida's oldest microbrewery, they are always working to create a unique variety of craft beers for every taste. In addition, Dunedin Brewery features a full menu, including everything from their famous wings, burgers, salads, flatbreads, and more. Don't forget about their live music, including the Wednesday Night Players Jam. That's Dunedin Brewery, 937 Douglas Avenue in downtown Dunedin. Visit them online at dunedinbrewery.com. Looking for car shows? Then look no further than FLACarshows.com. On your computer or on your mobile device, FLACarshows.com is a comprehensive list of automotive events plus videos and news articles. Whether you're looking for car shows, cruise-ins, meetups, automotive festivals, cars and coffees, or anything else relating to an internal combustion engine, then this is a site for you. Check it out online or on your phone at FLACarshows.com. Okay, we're back. Yes. Mike. Mike's on. Okay, I just want to make Who's sure the Mike? mic's on. <laughs> hey, Mike. Anyway, uh, yeah, so you tune into Nostalgia Freedom Cars, and we were just talking about uh, Leadfoot City's um, Swap Meet Car Show, and I don't know, it's called Music Festival or something like that. So but check per- that out on Facebook Yeah, check that out. Yeah, go check. I think, wow, shame on me. Now is bad, it? Bad, 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 Robert. I need to post that real quick. I yeah. haven't done that yet. But anyway, that's so not I a guess. Ford dealership. Is there that we wanted to plug? Oh, a Ford dealership. Uh, yeah. Our good friends over there at Brandon, Brandon Ford. Ford. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I was over there today looking at the car because you know I do diminished value. So we're looking at a 2019 Ford Explorer Titanium Edition. Then after that, we went and looked at another uh, Ford that uh, we're doing a diminished value on, and that is a 2020 
for transit. transit. Yeah, high top or high, what do they call it? Uh, yeah, high, high tie, roof or something tie, like top, that. XL. Yeah, so keep in mind, you know, if you get a late model car or any nice car that's never been crashed, no damages, no prior, but it's in pretty good shape, really good shape, and it's been involved in an accident, you are entitled to be indemnified, which means you're entitled to be made whole again by the at fault insured person that crashed into your car. You're the claimant, they're the in, at fault insured. And if they have adequate insurance, you're entitled to diminish, to diminish value. Check out our website, GolfstreamMotorsports.com. Or if you see a little white Ford Transit Connect van running around that says, crash car. Don't crash in it and yeah, flag right. us down. <laughs> yeah, you may be owed some money. Anyway, so, uh, yeah, so Leadfoot's uh, pretty good, pretty nice little venue there. Actually, what was cool is plenty of parking, plenty of shade, and, uh, you know, vendors, food, drinks, all that stuff was there. And it's spread out, so it's really kind of nice. And the other thing that they had there was uh, they had like a little, I don't want to say drifting, but they had like a little square blocked off there, and people could come in and do like, uh, you can either do a straight burnout, or you could sit there and spin your car around and kind of quasi-drift, you know, in little circles and stuff like that. So that was entertaining for people, too. And uh, so I believe this is going to take place every third Saturday or Sunday of the month, um, which is okay because it doesn't compete with Sumter County. But I'm not sure if they're going to do – you might want to check their website, Leadfoot City. Dot com. Anyway, Maybe we'll get it up on FLA Car Show. Yeah, stuff. yeah, yeah. We'll do that. We'll check it out. It should be up there. But in the meantime, I think Tommy's going to go ahead and fire up the stereo again. And then we're going to go ahead and uh, let's see. This is a little going back to the 60s, late 60s, 69, 70. This is War. Well, actually, this is uh, Eric Burden and War doing Spill That Wine. Hey, you're tuned into Nostalgic Winning Cars. Don't touch that doll. We'll be right back with our special guest for the evening. Here's a little uh, classic 60s rock and roll. Circuit spans northern Italy from Brescia to Rome, from the east coast to the west. Sterling Moss is one of the British drivers for whom this event has been a must for many years. 
The Marquis de Potego of Spain and Eddie Nelson America share a Ferrari. Also in the Ferrari team is Britain's Peter Collins. Sterling Moss, who won the 1955 event in record time, leaves the starting ramp in his Maserati. Most of the way, the race is true to pattern. Mechanical trouble puts some out of the running, including Sterling Moss and Peter Collins, after he had led the field. De Potago makes good time, but victory goes to Italian veteran Piero Taruffi, beating Von Trips by a few yards. Taruffi gets a hero's welcome from the crowd. Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Okay, we're back, and you're tuned into Nostalgic Radio and Cars. And it's time to introduce our special guest for the evening, gentlemen, as well known in the circle of collector cars and in the world of Ferraris, is also pretty well versed at finding some really, really unusual and amazing collector cars. I'm delighted to welcome to the show this evening my friend from California, Tom Shaughnessy. Tom, how you doing, buddy? Good. How are you today? Pretty good. So uh, I know we got a few minutes to talk here a little bit before your flight out. So uh, I played that little clip from the 57 Millimili because one of the cars that you found is a car that I also ended up um, appraising. But you've got a very, very, very um, tight connection with that. And that's that 1957 um, Curtis Caballo II 500K. So why don't you tell us a little bit about that car? Well, it's actually a 500X. Oh, 500X. It was an X-body chassis, and I think there are six of the X-body chassis that were made by Curtis. Um, the the Ack Miller car, um, it was built by Ack Miller, um, basically a hot rodder in the um, in the Los Angeles area. And he had Sutton had bodied a car, and it was the, the, the first American sports race sports racer to enter the Mille Amelia in 1957. Um, the story goes when Ack was looking for a chassis. Caballo One was a very uh, important road race car for Mexico and was very successful. Uh, that was built on a K chassis. And then um, Curtis then further went off to build an X chassis, which was no longer a ladder chassis. So it was a quite a bit wider chassis. But at the same time, Curtis was also selling the company or it was going bankrupt. I'm sure it was just languishing because all he made were chassis for Indy cars and these road cars that we're speaking about today. Um, Brunswick had purchased um, Curtis, and and Ack Miller needed a chassis, so he went to his, his, his buddy and said, well, I don't have the company anymore, but he still had the keys to the shed. So huh. he basically went in the middle of the night with a pickup truck, and these guys went and took one of the chassis that they really didn't feel were going to be ever used by Brunswick. And that was the start of Axe um, building the car. Um, he slightly modified the front end uh, that, that um, Curtis had done, the, two, the twin torsion uh, setup, hired uh, Jack Sutton from, I believe he was the Hollywood or Pasadena area, uh, to build the body, and they borrowed an engine from Briggs Cunningham, which was an experimental Chrysler motor. 
they further went on, used Lincoln brakes, and they were hot rodders. They were not car manufacturers. They used parts from other vehicles. They used the Jaguar gearbox, Lincoln rear end, Lincoln brakes, and this Chrysler motor. Um, Ack Miller was testing the car. I believe he went up to Reno in the car, came back during his testing phases, and went under the car because there was a gas leak and dropped the drop light. The car caught on fire just prior to going to the Millamilia. So the original Sutton body was partially destroyed, and they were out of time. So Jack uh, Van Neumann's uh, uh, shop in Los Angeles then finished the body, so it was partially sudden um, and partially uh, another shop in Los Angeles to get this thing going. So they got the car to the Mila Milia. Uh There's pictures of it all throughout Hot Rod Magazine with its build and sent off by Miss America, and it went to the Mila Milia. Um, I forgot its, its starting point. Um, obviously, it was against all the other ma- major manufacturers, and this was fairly an untested car. And the car basically um, broke a brake drum in 60, at the first 60 miles, and I believe a header blew off, and the, the uh, navigator, Doug Harrison, could no longer... Um, he couldn't handle the heat, and the... <laughs> The car was retired, you know, less than a third of the way through the uh, the event. So, pretty famous American sports racer came back to America. They gave back. They gave the uh, engine back to Briggs Cunningham. It raced with an Oldsmobile. Raced around America a little bit. I really don't think it was very successful. Uh, Riverside, mostly West Coast, and 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 that's that's that, that's the car's history in a in a nutshell. Wasn't it used also in a movie? There was a short film, a movie, and it was like a B movie back in the day, and it was used in yeah, there. Yeah, it was called. The, I believe it was called The Racers. I okay. believe it was in there also. Um, but it was an, an interesting attempt. It was the only American sports racer attempt at the Mille Amelia. Obviously, nineteen fifty-seven was the last year of the Mille Amelia uh, because of all the deaths, <clears throat> and um, so this this car just. You know, there were there were six uh, X-body chassis made, all raced in America, um, best of my knowledge. Um, and this is the only international one. So it was the most uh, famous Curtis uh, road car that was ever produced. Fast forward, oh, it must be 57. So right around 2000, yeah, probably 215, 213, 215 area. Um I got a call from the uh, Gooding and Company people, and they said, because they knew I had had another famous Curtis, which is the Lou Barrero uh, 500K car, and um, they asked me if I'd be interested, and I had I said, sure, let me go see what it's all about. And I had gone all the way up to the high desert in, Hisper- in about, I think it's called Hesperia, uh, California, and a, I believe the guy was a, an appraiser for the state on land. So a land appraiser had found this car up there, and for 20 years on a fairly um, frugal salary, and he was a frugal person, 
he tried to create this car, and he was afraid that it would be stolen and he would send one panel at a time to a guy in the Riverside area that would make a panel. And the whole spirit of this hot rod was just eliminated. They were playing with anodized straight panels because they couldn't bend net, um, or the instructions where they couldn't just build the floors the way they were. Um, they powder-coated the frame. They, they bought all these gauges from, you know, a hot rod store, but all contemporary gauges right out of the boxes. The wiring loom was all yellow wire, and and, and he powder-coated things blue because he thought this was red, white, and blue in America, and, and, and the car just lost its, it, it, it lost its soul. And I had gone to this coming out party that he had. And he had some the Chrysler motor in it, but it was front-driven with injection rather than the rear-driven that it was because it was too complicated or too expensive to do it the way it was. And, and, and the, the owner, you know, was proud of his work. And had, he had Ed, Ed Escudarian out there, and he had... Uh, I don't know Jack's last name, but Jack had worked for Ack Miller um, his his whole life when he got back from World War II, and he had a little party of about thirty or forty people out there, so he could start up this car. The body wasn't on it yet; it was still separated, um, and it was just incomplete and and just in the totally the wrong direction. Um, and he had called Gooding because I'm not sure he could finish the car and they don't necessarily sell cars that are apart <clears throat> so um, an X-Body chassis car had sold at Barrett-Jackson probably around 2010 or maybe a little bit earlier and, and broke the bank and you know a car that normally was 300000 sold for seven, 800 or maybe it was a million dollars so all of a sudden he thought he had the Queen's Jewels here hmm. and it wasn't bad uh, but it was all apart, and it was just it was just restored wrong, and and it wasn't even restored. It was uh, it basically I was buying a chassis, and that's all I really was uh, with a motor. And, uh, I don't believe I didn't use a gearbox. I did use the rear end. I believe I had to change the brakes all around. Wheels had to be changed. Uh, the body spent about three years. Um, with a, sm a small shop in Southern California because we had fairly good pictures on it. Um, and he just could never finish it. But he had done all the inner structure. And, I mean, it was it was a six-figure bill. You know, uh, it, it just took so much time to, to... We threw all the floors out. Everything had to be hand-beat, put back in. Um, we realized that the chassis was bent, and the chassis had to get straightened. So he was building it around a bent chassis, and we had seen in one of the the films that it had gone backwards into a hay bale at Riverside with the, the Oldsmobile run motor in it years earlier, uh, you know, back in the fifties. So it was it was basically a three or four year restoration, and um, it's not my cup of tea. I mean, I really know. Uh, 50s and 60s Ferraris quite well, but there's also manufacturing uh, construct. There's, there's there's a way that, that a manufacturer constructs a car, and, and in this way, I I was trying to interpret what hot rodders would have done. Um, I there were quite a few pictures, but the mother load of pictures came only six weeks before Pebble Beach when when Road Track finally got to their archives uh, to get them for me. And they had 145 pictures, period pictures, 
Uh, but because it was the only American sports racer, it was fairly well documented in, in quite of the few magazines. Um, but we were just trying to figure out which configuration it finally ran in because it had run, it had been tested. And then <clears throat> I forgot what the appendix is, um, but then they had to change to have uh, two doors and a, and a full windscreen. I think the car was built with uh, two cockpits, kind of like a Batmobile initially, with two separate windscreens. But I think it's Appendix K, possibly, that, that talk, talked about having, they all had to have tops, they all had to have full windscreens, and then they all had to have two doors. So I languished uh, building the mechanical in my shop, um, adjusting, getting the right Hillborn injection uh, driven off the um, rear distributor, and I had to get into a new world of hot rods and had to figure out gauges and what the Stuart Warner gauges would have been used in the period. It was, it was fairly detail-oriented in an area that I'm really not familiar with, but it was pretty straightforward because the, guy, the hot rodders in Los Angeles were just using what was manufactured at the time. So you just have to figure out what master cylinders they use for the brakes and the braking systems. And like I said, there were quite a few pictures so we could kind of guess, uh, make some fairly educated guesses. Uh, but it's, it was a pretty big research project. Um, I forgot what year I finished it. I you know, finally finished it, brought it to Pebble Beach. Um, I had three volumes of pictures, and I had pulled out all of the wiring and all the gauges and and, and everything that I had to remove from the car to, to show that I had gotten the spirit of the car back. The entire chassis had to be dipped because it had been powder-coated. It had to be chemically stripped off the, the chassis. Um, and, and that was important to me. They would have just painted it with black paint, and it would have been a, probably a semi-gloss or not even a gloss paint. And these were hot rodders. You know, if something chipped, they just would take out a spray can and they'd spray over it just to, to protect the metal. So the whole spirit of, of, of an American uh, sports racer had to be brought into the car, brought it up to Pebble Beach. It was a class of 10. And we took second to the, uh, we being, me and my son had helped me at the time. Uh, we took second uh, to the Jaguar, uh, fairly uh, uh, land speed record uh, Jaguar 120 that came over from England so we were quite pleased with the results and then the car immediately went to the Colorado Grand for the first time to begin the sorting of it um, completed the event and then we had another year to make the car work um, properly I think cars are meant to be driven um, Pebble Beach was just kind of a, a target to finish the car and then the car was put immediately into use and took an extra year to sort the suspension, the braking, and and the, and the power. Uh, the biggest victory at the Colorado Grand the second year was when I got, um, it had a fairly small gas tank in it. But when we got uh, double figures in, in, in gas mileage, when I finally got the pills cor uh, correctly installed, and we were getting 11 or 12 miles to the gallon, we were, we were we didn't have to stop except at lunch uh, to get fuel every day. So uh, that's kind of the history of that this, this kind of weird American, manu very small American custom manufacturer that, you know, used whatever 
powertrain that you chose to use in um, to create a car. Now, let me ask you a question here because uh, most people are probably familiar with Cunningham's. Now, were, were Cunningham's built overseas or were they actually built here in the United States? That's some, something tells me they were built in South Florida, but... Um, I thought they were built in West Palm Beach. I Palm thought, Beach, uh, yeah. Cunningham built, yeah. So, were they kind of like, uh, you know, because you're talking about this car being, you know, like a, you know, a sports car that was purpose-built for the Mille Mille, which is uh, a 1,000-kilometer European road race. But yet, Cunningham's were out like in the early 50s, and they shared Cadillac motors and and uh, and, and Chrysler Hemi motors and stuff like that. So uh, where, what, what exactly is the difference between the two cars, you know, just for my listeners and for me? Well, too. Uh, Cunning, Cunningham was a complete car. You could buy a complete car. Okay. From, 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 from Frank Curtis, you bought a chassis. Okay, I see. You know, a lot of the IndyCar teams would buy a, a Curtis chassis, and then they would build around it. So okay. Curtis was primarily, although he did make a couple of sports cars, um, you'll see a variety of engines in, in, in the 500s, in the 500Ss, the 500KKs, and the 500Xs. It, there's everything from Buick's Oldsmobiles to, um, you know, Cadillacs. Okay. To, 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 in this case, a Chrysler motor. Wasn't Curtis involved with the Munch? Before it was the months or something, wasn't it called Curtis something or other? I, I, I believe he was. Okay. Uh, there was a Curtis that looked like that, and I don't know if it was sold off to months, but yeah. Okay. And that was more of a full production car. Right. Where the cars we're talking about are basically chassis for racing that were sold to race race individuals. I'd say normally I'd say race teams, but this was kind of a, kind of backyard car racing. <laughs> yeah. Now, okay. So your expertise is more along the lines of Ferraris. You've discovered, and you're and, and you're you're considered by most in the industry as you know a Ferrari expert. But tell us about one or two of the uh, rare Ferrari bar finds, barn finds that you've discovered because you kind of have a propensity for that. Yeah. Well, they found they kind of found me, and <laughs> I had learned um, very early in my career. Um, I I got involved in the Ferrari parts world because I could look at it if, if I could find out where to get the parts you could find something that was greatly distressed and put it all together and a lot of people can't see through the, the forest they can't see they can't see what the end product is mm-hmm. so um, I started collecting I started just selling Ferrari wheels initially and it turned into a fairly large Ferrari parts business I, I do know that I have more Ferrari, not that I'm proud of it, but I have more vintage Ferrari parts in the world, in, 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 in basically as a single individual in North America. And there's more stuff here than there is pretty much anywhere in the world. Um, of just cars that have been taken apart, distressed, all used old Ferrari parts. Um, I guess the I guess the most famous one is, is the, two, the 0202 car, the 340 America that I bought on eBay. And, you know, I, I did tip somebody out. Somebody tipped me off that there may be a Ferrari chassis that was under a plastic Devon body. Um, and it was true. And um, and it was on eBay. And it had a Ferrari badge on it. I never mentioned the word Ferrari in the ad, but there were a couple of people in the world that knew it, what it was, knew, knew something was going on. Um, I did note the Ferrari brake. And um, and I 
I knew the, the construction of the chassis when, when he had had a picture of the, the car off. And the car was in uh, Illinois. Um, and, you know, I won it on eBay. I had three separate identities, so none of them would fail. And, and <laughs> many, snipe, many snipe bids all the way up to $200,000. And I think the winning bid was $26,000. Um, and then I had a friend of mine just go pick the car up in Illinois. I instructed him to take all his Ferrari badges off his truck. And he went and picked the car up. And then um, we showed it to uh, a historian by the name of Hillary Rapp in Indiana prior to me even seeing the car. And we discovered that the chassis number was an even chassis number, which is a racing uh, racing car from the 50s. Odd, odd serial numbers are the, um, the road cars. And discovered it was this long-lost 340 America that had a Chevy in it and uh, the T10 transmission, and uh, it was a mess. But it was the real chassis of a missing car. Fast forward that, there was a five-year discrepancy of whether it was an open open being a Barquetta or a, or a coupe. And I was trying to figure it out, and I... The historians were saying initially, because the Ferrari record said it was a Barchetta, um, uh, they were they were leaning that way, and, and, and I was getting some other information from the South, because the car had been in Texas, uh, but it was uh, with a dealer. A dealer had flipped the car, apparently, in the 50s and killed the, killed the passenger. Um, that's why it's got a new body on it, but apparently it was called... Uh, Someone by the name of Baby Jim Hall, I believe, is, was uh, how they referred to him. Not the Jim Hall that everyone knows knows today. Um, he flipped the car, and, and, and Bill Devin at the time was also running a 340. Um, so obviously, Devin must have supplied this plastic, bo- fiber, plastic body. And we found in the research of the car that the car was still running the Ferrari engine for several years more. Um, I believe in Texas with this plastic body on it. So I didn't pursue um, restoring it because there was such a division, whether it was open or closed. Uh, and I sold it on to a restoration shop who then was who was forced to go to the Ferrari factory. Um, and Ferrari at that point only when the car arrived there admitted that the car was a coupe. And, you know, they... They finished the car, I believe, about eighteen months ago. Oh, and there's a blue. It's, so it's a blue 1952 uh, coupe that ran at Le Mans, um, and it's, you know, it's been saved. I eventually found the original motor for the car in Chicago. Wow, uh, which cost me a quarter million dollars, and uh, so I was able to reunite the, um, the car, the motor. I had a gearbox. I had a rear end. Um, the brakes were with the car. So I had a radiator, and I supplied this whole kit, if you want to call it that, to the to the new owners, um, who then eventually had the car restored um, for for seven for a seven figure number at the Ferrari factory. That took, I believe, two to three years. Incredible stuff. I mean, the detail to to restore a car. We got a few minutes left to restore a car like that. How many hours? 
does it take? I mean, a lot of guys are used to restoring their Mustangs, their Camaros, their Mopars, and their Pontiacs and things like that. You know, 1,000 hours, 1,500 hours, you can get those cars done. But if you're doing something like this, like a Ferrari or a Jaguar or something interesting, a Mercedes, you know, well, a Roadster, you, you can get into thousands and thousands and thousands of hours, correct? No, if you're building a Pebble Beach car that's a complete Ferrari, and if you're going to Pebble Beach and that's your goal, compete with the, the restoration shops of, of, of the country and the world, you know, you could have up upwards upwards of, you know, six or seven thousand hours. And if you're going to rebody a car, you could have a 10,000 hour restoration there. You know, so just do the math. 10,000 hours that, you know, $100 an hour is, there's your million bucks without even putting any parts in there. Plus and that's, those are extreme cases. But, um, Another one of the uh, another Ferrari that I had found from a, a picker out of uh, out of um, Detroit. It was a little uh, cabriolet that that I did finish the story for a client of mine. We spent three hundred thousand um, dollars at seventy five dollars an hour just on the body, the paint, making bumpers, making trim, making firewalls. Um, it was three hundred thousand dollars just to do the body and then i had to you know i found the original motor for that car uh, we found a good good gearbox for it that ferrari uh, um acknowledged was 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 an appropriate gearbox for it but a good rear end in it the car just got certified by the factory it's actually at the factory right now um but that was a five-year restoration now that wasn't five years of my time i was pretty much the general contractor no one uh, the people to build the motors, the people to, you know, mate the transmission up to the motors and put the right um, clutch parts in it. And, it. and it sounds silly, just little clutch parts, but people don't realize that Ferrari only made 2,000 cars from 1957 to 1959. So to find old clutch pieces to remanufacture... You know, you, you could put an AP clutch in it or some sort of aftermarket clutch, but it's not the right clutch, and that and that's not the way to restore the car. Um, it's just detail after detail, from carburation to linkages to you know looking at sister cars to looking at period photos. It's 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 time consuming, and even those these restorations with these big hours or these big numbers you hear. Um, you probably don't get compensated for all your time because you just feel so bad because it takes so long. And it really is the difference between um, a a true professional restoration house or, um, you know, just going down to a local place to to get a paint job and either a quick motor rebuild or a crate motor installed. Um, the, 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 The attention to detail in in everything from the from the literature to the period photos to period build sheets um, to documenting all this to, to prove to at a judging level, you know how how you came up with the, the car that you're presenting, and, and it's just a different world. Um, and I would and have not for everyone. And I would have to say, probably one of the most important elements is passion. Fair to say. If you don't have the passion, you know this is this is not a business. I mean, it is a business, but 
it, it doesn't make sense. It just doesn't make sense. I mean, I have 500 wheels I know in my Ferrari inventory. I don't need 500 wheels. But, <laughs> but, but if I need, you know, if I need something, I can grab it. Uh, and that, and if you show that to a person that runs a business, they'll say, well, when did you turn the stuff over? I have stuff that I'll never sell. I have a whole nose clip off a of Ferrari 250 Lusso, which is right now about a million and a half dollar car. I have the whole nose doors and hood. Well, I'm here to tell you that every Lusso out there that's alive has a nose door and hood. <laughs> and I don't think I'll ever sell it. So, uh, you know. But it, I have it. I can't throw it away. You know, God forbid I need it someday. But you know, so if it's yeah, it's all about passion, and and and, and today's world doesn't realize you know the passion that some people have for their old automobiles. Well, Tom, on that note, I want to thank you very much for coming on the show. I'm glad you said that. I have stuff I will never sell. I'm glad you emphasize passion. Thank you very much. Look forward to seeing some of the shows. Too bad Monterey's canceled, but there's some other events, and I'll see you in the fall at some of the events. And again, take care in the meantime. Great. Thanks for having me. See ya. Bye-bye. Hey, I want to thank my special guest, Tom Shaughnessy, for coming on our show. Just a super cool guy, very committed, very dedicated. One of the just really super car guys, that's all I can say. Just really in the, his passion and, and some rare cars. In the meantime, I want to thank all my listeners for tuning in to Nostalgia Getting Cars. Don't forget to check us out here every Tuesday night on Tan Talk Radio Network for the most fascinating and legendary names in motorsports and some musicians from time to time. Check out our website, GulfstreamMotorsports.com. See some of the car shows. In the meantime, everybody stay safe, drive carefully, and love your family. WTAN, Clearwater, FM 106.1, WDCF, Dade City, FM 102.3, WZHR, Zephyr Hills, FM 104.3. Listen.